Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Don't Blame Me, a call and advice show hosted by me, Melissa Diamond Montz, and she is just happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) 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 My name's Second Ranks, (laughs) and uh, I feel like I'm about to give away a car or something. Read the terms and services. Hire us to host your next athletic event. Are you ready to squirt or something? Just squirt? (laughs) No, I thought are you ready to rumble might be trademarked. And so I was like, maybe if they are listening to this podcast, I don't think they're actively like recruiting, thinking of us for sports. And so maybe they're like, look at these girls talking about sex and like crazy things. Look at them being woo. So I was just throwing in the little Megan and Melissa Spice into my sports newscaster reel. Squirting. Squirting. Well, at that, when, when we have our phone call with OnlyFans, we'll host the first ever OnlyFans. You know what? I actually take that back. I'm, I Athletic don't. Athletic event. Squirt. I have a hard time with. Bodily funk fluids that aren't that's your own. What it is. I don't have, I, I'm fine with people doing whatever they want with their own time. Like squirt. So happy for you. Like do what you got to do, like, or just whatever you want to do. But mm-hmm. I have a hard time with other people's bodily liquids. What if you don't actually see it and you're just reading things off a teleprompter? That's fine. Okay. But like, see, I can't even watch people kiss. So like, I can't watch someone. I'd be like, I'm so sorry I'm here. Like, let me like, let me leave. Like, I can't watch someone kiss like a PG movie. I'm like, ah, oh! hilarious. Anyway, what is this show, Megan? This is a podcast where we give you wonderful, amazing life changing advice because what we lack in credentials, we actually don't lack in credentials. Um, We are absolutely stacked to the nines. We We're are Harvard educated nasa trained that's about it we need for today we, can, yeah. we don't have time to go into the no. other accolades and like the fact that you're even questioning us is sexist um it's absolute, racist it's racist for half of us and it's <laughs> i'm i'm vegetable and you know reverse race it's reverse racism to me of course because that's the thing and, of, no, it's it's very clearly a thing. Like, don't you know, in some other random countries, white Christians are persecuted because they are... Okay, I can't even... <laughs> well, <laughs> the fact that you even ask us to defend ourselves just shows that 
you're so small minded. I don't think that you should be here. Mm -hmm. So if you are not one of those people and you're here being like, oh my gosh, let me, I kiss the ground you walk on. I don't even know you two bitches, but here I am bowing. What has come over me? Why am I suddenly on my knees? And to that we say, it's just the natural occurrence when you end up in our presence. Like it's a phenomenon. Like there's, it's a medical, people don't know why, but it is been talked about as like an otherworldly compulsion to like suddenly just start bowing and kissing our feet. As the song goes, I get so weak in the knees, I can hardly speak. I lose all control. And then something comes over me in a daze. Your love's so amazing, but we're not loving everybody. So no, I'll end it there. Thank you, SWV, for that great song. And I think JoJo also. I was about to say, I have no idea who that is, but why have I heard it? And that's because, that, and I could not tell you what the words were. So I was like, was it JoJo or Ariana Grande? Someone who was. It was JoJo. It's not so much enunciation going on mm -hmm. in that moment, but beautiful. So we are going to give you advice. And you might be wondering, how do I get in touch with you two goddesses to get your wise wisdom, your, your sage words of advice? And to that, I would say, send us a, a a voice memo if you are international or leave us a voicemail if you are in the United States. I don't know why I gave you a British accent for that. We just all start speaking. <laughs> with, imagine we just all start speaking the British accents and gaslighting the UK. To be fair, I would fucking love that. We just start gaslighting the UK being like, no, this is our accent. Like you stole it all. And they're like, oh my God, no. I don't know. There's something, nothing, nothing gets me feeling patriotic. <laughs> like coming against the, them. The, the online wars. Yes. So you can leave us a voicemail at 310-694-0976. International listeners, you can send us an audio message at meganpodcast at gmail.com. Both of those, you have to keep it under three minutes. You will be cut off. It is not up to us. It is like literally just a function of technology. So to ensure that you're making the most of those three minutes, we ask that you write everything down that you want to say, include your age. You have to be over 18 or have your parents' permission and parents or guardians' permission. Write everything down that you want to say. Please include your ages. If there's multiple people in there, their ages, about a relationship, how long you've been together, friendship, all of those things. If there's like some specific context that is desperately needed to understand the situation, include that. There's some other like, you know, little fluffs and things that we don't totally need and it won't influence our opinion. But the only thing we can go off is what you tell us. So write everything down, then time it out a couple of times. Make sure you're under three minutes when you're practicing reading it out loud and then once you finally got it down, you've done a little bit of rehearsal, clear your throat, you hop on in somewhere. It's nice and quiet, you know, nice little audio and record that. Send it on over to us. And if you do a great job, you could receive a figurative diamond, which uh, is ethically sourced. From me, an actual diamond. She, I give she, a little piece of me. Mm -hmm. Yep. She she lays a diamond. She just sits. She goes to bed at night in her... In my adjustable on? bed, and I push the button up, and when I rise, one a diamond just falls out. They're rare though, so sometimes I haven't given one out in a long time. She's hoarding them. Is it hoarding, or is it being selective, or is it enjoying the fruits of your own personal labor? Mm -hmm. You've but you've spent so long making those diamonds <laughs> that you were like, you know what? I want to enjoy them for myself for a while. And 
the bar has been raised now. Someone has to go so above and beyond because people really took that seriously. And they did. And we appreciate it. Oh, yes. I think it makes the episodes a lot um, smoother, more succinct and like for people listening, but then also for us giving advice. There's a lot less guesswork that goes in to it for us. So, okay, everyone. Hi. Sorry. We took a little break, (laughs) but it wasn't like an actual break. It was a break from the show. But we were still very much working our little asses off. And it was just, you know, for some of us, more pleasant than others. Some of us were figuratively working our asses off. Some of us were both figuratively and literally working their asses off. And they shared it with everyone on the Internet. So that's a good time to shout out our own Instagrams. Follow me. She is not Melissa. Follow Megan. and i've been more active lately you have been more active i feel like even though our audiences like we have like the crossover from this audience but like not in the rest of our audiences i'm not posting anything on instagram and i go well at least melissa is as if by proxy (laughs) that means that like i'm living vicariously through that and i'm like well she is and now i have something because i you know what it really is i think I rewatch my own stories over and over and over again, but I haven't been uploading them. So then I just get to rewatch yours. And I'm like, why do you rewatch your stories? No, like the day of. I don't watch them like my old ones. I just Mm -hmm. like see what I posted that day. Don't lie and pretend you don't just like then get back into bed after your whole day out and you've posted all these stories. You're like, let me see my stories again. You don't do that? No. Okay. Well, I think that mine's a relatable experience. Please head on over to our Instagram comments and help me feel less alone. Please tell me. I would go back and look and see who looked at them. To see if who I was targeting looked at them. And then I'll go. And then I'm done. A thoughtful target. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to know for everybody that we also have a Patreon. And there are some visual cues, looks, nuances that you will just not get with audio unless you have previously watched every other episode to understand us. And even then, some things might slip through the cracks. So if you want the full immersive 365 experience, might I say, joining our Patreon. And I was going to say, if you want to hear more about where we've been, what's been going on, what's been going in and out of our bodies, um, we talk about it tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talk about it in tomorrow's episode of See You Next Tuesday. All right, here we go with the calls. Hi, Megan and Melissa. I'm calling in today for advice concerning my friend Amy. All persons mentioned, including myself, are 24 and use she, her pronouns. Amy and I and our mutual friend Madison are going to a concert together this upcoming May. The three of us have been friends for over 10 years. Amy and Madison still live in my hometown, but I've moved a few hours away from them. I still speak to them both regularly, at least once a week, but I only get to see them once or twice a year now. For approximately the past year, when I do speak to Amy on text or call or video chat, she's very often making herself an alcoholic beverage, regardless of the time of day or situation. When we've been in person, she always wants to do something that is centered around drinking. It's clear from her social media and from her own admission that she is now drinking or at the very least taking a shot every single day. She's mentioned twice, both me and Madison, in a sort of self-deprecating way that she may have a quote-unquote problem. The last time I spoke to her privately, she did say that she's been talking to her therapist about her alcohol and substance consumption, but because she was aware of her consumption level, she didn't really think it was a real concern. Frankly, I am really worried about her. 
but I struggled bringing up the idea of helping limit her consumption because I don't know if it's my place, if I would be overstepping her boundaries, if I would come across as prudent or lame, or if she would think I was being accusatory to her. Amy and I both come from families with heavy addiction issues, so I'm worried I may be conflating our experiences with what I can only see from afar. But I have recently shared my worries with Madison. She mentioned that whenever she invites Amy over to hang out, her first question is if they will be drinking. If Madison responds no, then Amy almost always declines the invitation. Madison expressed that she had the same concerns as me, but that she also wasn't sure how to handle the situation. Do you have any advice on how to address this respectfully with Amy, if I or we even should? I'm worried if that we don't say something now, then if there is a real problem, it will escalate. The next time I see Amy and Madison, we'll be in a group setting, just us three, on our trip to the concert. Would it be a terrible idea to address it before or during our trip? For additional context, I have drank in the past socially, but I've been silently sober for about a year now. And Madison drinks often socially, maybe once or twice every two weeks. Thank you in advance for any advice, and thank you for all the wonderful never-wrong advice that you guys share every week. I truly do think that I've become a more well-rounded, more empathetic person in part to you, too. I love the podcast. I love what it's done for me, and I love what it's done for others. And an extra thank you to everyone who calls in. And it makes me feel less alone in this big world just to know that others have similar issues. Just big thank yous all around. Have a good week. Bye. Um. Am I pregnant? Because I almost, that almost made me tear up at the end. That was so kind. Thank you. Like that almost made me cry. That was like really, really sweet. And thank you for being a part of this. And you are one of the people that you're thanking for being vulnerable and other people feel the same listening to these calls. First of all, this is a real problem. This isn't like if it is a real problem or if it becomes a real problem, it already became a real problem and it is currently a real problem. Knowing that you're aware (laughs) being aware of a problem is like just the first step and that doesn't mean that like the idea that alcoholics or anybody who's doing something like has no idea what they're doing and they have no idea how much they're drinking like I knew that I was drinking like that this wasn't healthy and I like I was aware of it that doesn't negate any of the fact that like it is a problem knowing that it's a problem doesn't or knowing that how much you're drinking and being aware of that doesn't doesn't change the actual facts there. I would say it would be a really bad idea to bring it up the day of the concert or going to the concert and it's all three of you together. Yeah, it's a really bad time. Like she seems comfortable enough and aware like that she's mentioned in passing throwaway self-deprecating you said about like insinuating that she has a problem. And then even the fact that you know that she's like talked about it with her therapist. So you've been let in to what you need to be let into. So thinking that like there's more behind that door, which then makes this window into it obsolete is not true. So there's nothing else that you would know that you don't know that makes this not an alcohol problem. Do you know what I mean? Like it can be a more complex problem than this, but you're not reading too much into it. And the information you've also been given is from her. And a lot of the time we downplay what we're going through or what we're doing to other people. So it's not an off-basis assumption to assume that it's more than you both know. But the fact that she's brought it up, I do think sometimes joking about things and like saying things offhand is one of the earliest steps that people have into having other people hold them accountable or just knowing that 
these people are aware. I've essentially confirmed it verbally and then they know. And that's like a small step in this. So I don't think at all it's overstepping to let her know that you're concerned about the amount of alcohol that she's drinking and that it's taking a toll on your friendships and that she's not wanting to hang out with Madison when there's no alcohol involved. Like that's not a parent or scolding kind of role that's, hey, this thing that you're doing is affecting our friendship. So then it does become about you all. And I don't know that it'll totally click for her and it will elicit immediate change. But you also express that you have family history with addiction and you've been quietly sober for a year, which congratulations, that's great. You also have to protect your own peace in if you don't want to be in situations with her when she's heavily drinking. And I think it's important to tell people why you're going to distance yourself from them or let them know what your boundaries are so then they know when they're crossing them what the what the what the consequence of that is. And I think it's just kind of about about planting the seed and I think that applies to pretty much every unhealthy coping mechanism and like any struggle we see a friend going through. I've said things about friends like two friends who I've been concerned about and it hasn't been received well later on things changed i've had friends say things to me that i didn't receive well or i was like that's not a problem and i have changed my tune about that and have shifted that and i don't hold any animosity towards anyone who like said anything to me that like was trying to help but there is a lot of emotion and a lot of ego and pride put into something like any of our coping mechanisms. Like for some reason, they're always, it always feels embarrassing that it's like, this is how I'm coping. Like this is how I'm coping with whatever I'm going through. And there doesn't need to be shame in that, but like shame is like what hides. So I think like if you come at it, both of you separately, I wouldn't do it together. I would do it separately and just, you know, I'm like really concerned about you. And for you specifically saying like, I haven't been drinking all year. And this, I'm like up at a year at this point, and I'm really not super comfortable being around heavy alcohol consumption at this point. And I really don't want that to affect our friendship. And like, I would love to do like some fun, sober things with you and do those things and kind of leading by example in that sense. But knowing that not saying it, like if you say something, it can affect your friendship, but not saying something will also affect your friendship. Like you're being put in a really hard position. And then I think that the choice that you both have to make, and it might not be the same one for both of you, but the choice you both have to make is, okay, this is going to be hard either way. And it's going to change our friendship either way. So like, how can I protect my peace as well? Like, what is the, what is the choice that I make that isn't sacrifice, sacrificing my well being, or what's the choice I can make that lets me sleep at night? You know? Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. So Amy has brought up to you a few times that she thinks she may have a drinking problem and she's talked to her therapist about it. And she's when she's mentioned it to you, she's mentioned it with Madison and also one-on-one. So I think that she's aware, like she's very, very much aware of this. So I don't think talking to her about it would be much of an issue and maybe even making this trip maybe not 
saying this. Well, yeah, saying it out loud, like, like, cause you've been quietly sober and Madison doesn't drink that much. Like maybe just mentioning, Hey, this is, why don't we just like have fun and not drink on this trip? I think saying that like may, may ease that for her too. Like maybe like she might not feel as, I don't know if it's like pressure to drink. So one thing about alcoholism, and I'm not calling, I'm not saying that she is an alcoholic. I'm saying as a broad scope, alcoholism is a disease. And a lot of people don't treat it as such. They treat it as just a problem and not a disease that some people have. You wouldn't treat any other disease the same way. Let's say that someone you know has cancer. You wouldn't, a lot of people wouldn't, and I, I'm, when I say you, I mean you as in broad scope strokes Mm -hmm. all of us one one wouldn't treat someone with cancer in the same way that people typically treat people in the same way that someone that's an alcoholic or has or has unhealthy relationships with alcohol so i just think like you have you now have a healthy relationship and Amy, if y'all just kind of make your own pact it doesn't have to be like specifically bringing Madison in it into it yet but just saying like I'm you if you wanted to let Amy know that you have been sober and just say I'm not going to drink at all I won't be drinking and you know Madison has expressed to us that she thinks that she may have a problem so like why don't we just not drink it all during this trip and just make it easier yeah the one thing I'll say is I fully agree with that statement I think I would have that exact conversation with her. I would have that conversation with her well ahead of the trip because there are, I don't want to say different levels of alcoholism because there's the chemical reliant aspect and then there's the emotional regulation aspect and emotional Uh dependence. If you spring on her, which I'm not saying Melissa is suggesting at all because you're not, but to people, to you, caller, and anyone else who might be in a similar situation... If you spring on someone who drinks every single day and you're not entirely sure how much they drink, that this is like, you're not going to drink now today, that can be deadly. So like giving her ample time to just be like, hey, like this is something that like we want to do and sharing it. Like I said, if you're comfortable in the excitement of like, I'm coming up on like a year of like not drinking, like I would really love to celebrate that with both of you and like, you know, show you how much fun I've been able to have and how happy I am that I've stopped drinking and like doing this like sober all together I would confer and like talk with Madison on the side first so she's like well that you're both on the same page and aware and that gives Amy plenty of time to talk to her therapist to see if that's something that like even talk with like her doc see if that's something that she can do even saying like you know let us know if that's something that like you think that like could be done or if like there's something like that we could do as like a compromise in this sense. I just want to make sure like I'm respecting my own boundaries and I don't want to put either of you in positions where you're uncomfortable or I'm springing anything on you. I want us to all be in our element and like be the best mm-hmm. versions of ourselves. I, I really feel for people who like can see other people in their lives going through something and recognizing that they can't do anything about it. And Again, I've been in both positions and it's really hard. And I think the best thing you can do as like a friend and I've done where 
it's someone like referencing that, you know, the stuff that they're doing. And I'm just like, you know, I'm worried. Like, and it's very like, haha, I'll end up in rehab eventually. Like, this is all like a joke or whatever. Like, the thing that I've just done is like, you know, I'm always here and I'm always offering a different kind of social activity. Like, I'm always offering, like, we're not partying, we're not doing anything like that. Like, we're not being reckless in any form. And I'm here for you when you need those down days and you need to like decompress. And then if those days become more often, like, I am still here, but I'm remaining a constant and I'm not sacrificing. Because I wouldn't be able to do that if I sacrificed my own mental health and put myself in situations which I didn't want to be in or I didn't like, and I end up resenting them. So like, that's the thing. It's like, it's kind of, it's a marathon in these kinds of things. And it can be easy to want to do like a quick fix and to just want to shake it up and like, and have this be like, okay, snap in, snap out. And it feels like it might've been a really sudden shift but it's not for most people no. and it's not a shift a sudden shift out so being like a a safe place not engaging or enabling dangerous behavior in your presence that only works when you're not putting yourself in those situations and then trying to control a set, like a, an event or something that is not your thing that you're a part of that becomes controlling someone's life as opposed to being like here's this other life pop in anytime and that mm -hmm. stays steady, that stays consistent. And that also doesn't sacrifice your mental health when you set up those boundaries. Like you can't come on any substances, like, you know, this is these things, but it's a judgment-free zone. But it's it's not going to bars with those people and parties with the people and trying to change them in their environment. It's about just like showing yours and leading by example, I think, mm -hmm. personally. Agree. Yeah. And just letting her know that this is like, you don't have to like actually say this, but creating like this is a safe space so if you don't want to you don't have to like don't feel any pressure over here yeah but a concert's not a safe place the safe place like like the concert itself isn't a safe place but the community of friendship is that's yes. what I mean and I know and I agree with you I think it's the yeah. sense that like anything that you establish needs to like all those conversations and stuff happen in neutral ground happen in those safe spaces mm -hmm. and making sure that everybody's on the same page when you're out there because you can't control that situation. And if someone is desperate to have something and in a way that they feel like they're going to be judged for it or they're being ostracized from their group, you tend when you're desperate for something, you tend to put yourself in unsafe situations. And that's not what either of you want. You want her to be safe. And sometimes her like people being safe doesn't mean that mean, they can't get sober at this point like and mm -hmm. that's the safest thing for them right now and that's hard because your journey of it's very very different and I think that with me like stopping drinking all the time like I I think that I think it was a lot easier for me because I wasn't 21 and I don't think that makes it I don't think that runs the same for everybody but there's just a different level that we can't apply our own circumstance to every everyone else and like how they're going to get through, even if it feels like they've been dealt a very similar hand that you have. But I'm sorry, this is rough. And especially because you're long distance, it's like you're looking forward to this thing without and there's still a lot of like strings that are there that you're worrying about loose ends. So I hope that everything everything goes smoothly. And congratulations again on a year. And I'm hoping that soon you'll be able she'll be able to say something similar mm -hmm. all right next call
Hi, Megan and Melissa. I've been a big fan of the show since the beginning. I am 30, she, her pronouns, and I'm married to my wonderful husband, who is 32, he, him pronouns. Um, this isn't one of those stories where there's a but coming about him, I promise. We met about four years ago and got married about six months ago. We met shortly after I moved to a new city and not too long before COVID hit. Due to COVID and my introverted nature, I never really made a good group of friends in this new city, and over the years, I felt increasingly isolated and almost codependent on my husband as my only support person here. I've never just felt at home here, and on top of that, I don't feel particularly safe here either. In the last four years, our home has been broken into, my husband's car has been hit and hit and run twice, my car's been robbed three times, and the SWAT team raided my neighbor's home at 3 a.m. once. We do live in a suburb of the city, and crime is still just as bad as when I lived downtown. I do have PTSD and anxiety and depression, as well as seasonal depression, which has been really bad for the last few months through winter. This is not something I had experienced before, as I'm originally from the South. Because of all this, I want to move home, which is not where my husband is from. I moved away from my home state for really good reasons. I was in an abusive relationship, terribly unhappy, which I equated to living in the South and didn't really attribute to the toxic relationship. And I was dealing with really severe PTSD, so I just wanted to start over. I know going home isn't going to fix all my problems, but crime levels are better. I have friends and family there, and we'll be able to get a much better house for similar money to what we are paying here. And we would be moving to a very similar city where I went to college and have a lot of friends. My problem is I have a tremendous amount of guilt around making my husband pick up his life and move for me. He is more than willing to do it as he experienced firsthand how bad my depression was a couple of months ago, but I can't help but feel like I'm making him sacrifice a life he really enjoys in a nice blue state to move to a place where he only knows people through me. He really enjoys his job here as well, and he recently got a promotion. We're not sure yet if they would let him work remotely, but we are going to ask. I know I'm so lucky to have his support. I'm just trying to ease the burden I'm placing on myself as making me second-guess myself and my decisions constantly right now. I am in therapy, but I would love another opinion on if I'm doing the right thing by considering this move or if I'm being incredibly selfish. Please go gentle on me. I am very sensitive. And thank you so much. Bye. I don't think that you're being selfish. But also, if you were being selfish, there's a time to be selfish. And if there was ever a time, this is the time. Because you don't do not feel safe at a place that you should be feeling safe. Home should be the safest place that you feel. And right now, you don't feel safe. You don't feel protected. It's adding to your depression. And I want you to take that guilt away because this is just, I, this is something that um, you're putting on yourself. And it's not something like that you can't, you, you can't help the way that you feel, but I hope that our opinions let you know that like, it's, it's okay. Like this is okay. It's okay to leave because if your husband loves you the way that you say that you, that he does, and I believe that he loves you and he wants the best for you. And being in this situation is not the best thing for you. And so, you know, the, the job, he loves it, but does he love it more than you? No, like his friends, he loves them, but does he love them more than than you? No, if the, these were the case, then he would, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be willing to go with you. It could be seen as like so selfless that he's making these sacrifices for you, but are they really sacrifices? 
No, because again, he wants what's best for you. So like, just take the guilt away. Like you're going to, yeah, moving to the South red states, but there are pockets that are fine. And I'm sure like, if you're going to a place where you feel safe and protected, this is good for you. Like, I want you to, to, to remove the guilt that you have because you shouldn't be feeling guilty for this at all. I totally agree. I know you said you're sensitive at the end and like, know that like, I'm coming at you from a place where I can feel some, a very, like, I feel very guilty asking people to do anything for me. And this was a hard pill for me to swallow, but it has helped me a lot when asking for help and for people to meet my needs where I'm at. Other people aren't reacting to the things that I'm reacting to in the exact same way. So in this situation, the way you're describing it, I'm reading between the lines, you're worried that your husband is going to feel how you felt here right now. People don't react to the same circumstance the same way. And I have a hard time hearing that because I'm like, so what do you mean? Like someone else can like, how can someone else just handle this thing totally fine? And it's not my fault. It's not that I didn't try as hard. It's literally like some people's brains, some people do do, do better, do worse in different situations. And something that is like excruciatingly difficult and hard for me, it can be absolutely nothing to somebody else. And then there are things for me that are relatively easy to do and are just whatever and other people struggle with them. And that doesn't mean that your reaction and your experience and your mental state through all of this is your fault or of lack of trying or anything like that. It's the exact opposite. So you need to recognize that you're not asking him to put himself in the situation that you were in. That to me is maybe you grew up and you were like a really big people pleaser. And so in your mind, you would have knowingly sacrificed your well-being for somebody else. And you would have put yourself in something that you knew was going to make you incredibly depressed and like at the slight benefit of somebody else. I don't like to use the word normal, but it's not normal. Like that is not a healthy behavior and reaction. And he's your husband. You've been together for a while. So he knows that if he then becomes extremely depressed, that's not going to help this situation. Right now, this is a family issue. You're not doing well. And you're addressing this as a family. And if the decision that you were to both make would then make him not do well, that wouldn't help the situation at hand. That would continue to hurt the family. Like you are a singular unit. What you go through, he goes through to an extent. What he goes through, you go through to an extent. So he's not going to commit to anything that doesn't mutually benefit both of you. And at the end of the day, if you get there, you're there for a couple months and as it's not as big of a change as you both wanted it to be it's not permanent. Like we can always move to any other like direction and calling and things in life. Like we have choices for those things and we can't know exactly what's going to help. But when there's an inclining that like, I think this thing would help you fucking run to it. You go to Mm -hmm. it and you see because that feeling or that calling doesn't happen that often. And you have to listen to that and trust him that If he was being dishonest about all of this, if this is maybe not like his dream thing to do, 
this also isn't your dream right now. <laughs> like you're talking about like, you know, red state to blue state. And, you know, I left the South, like all of these things. You're not looking at this. Like I've always wanted to do this. I've gotten this man now. I've trapped him. And I'm going back here. Like, I don't want to say that you are settling, but you have recognized that where you are at is no longer working for you. And you want to go try out the place you were at before, which worked for you at a certain time and then stopped. So you're not asking him to give up his hopes and his dreams for you to be on cloud nine and you're running and chasing towards all of your dreams. You're asking him to help you cope and do something that you think might help. And he's your partner. Like he's there to do that. So I would not only give yourself more credit in picking a partner who is there to support you and cares about you and isn't doing things out of obligation, but is doing things out of love and give him more credit that he would tell you if this wasn't going to work for him emotionally, because he knows that that would also affect you. And you're both a unit. And as long as you're communicating, and it seems like you have been this whole way through, you're doing these check-ins and we have to make choices that benefit us in the moment. And then we hope that they benefit us five minutes, 10 minutes down the road, a year down the road, months down the road, whatever it is. Like we can't look into the future and know what the right choices to make are. So we have to go based on where we're at. Mm -hmm. And this is what's come to you right now. And I just say, go for it. Yep. Agree. All right. So uh, we're going to take a break now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Today's episode is brought to you by one of our sponsors, 310 Nutrition. They're helping us, our listeners, all of you in the new year with protein and superfood rich products with so many options of flavors and preferences. And I love a good option. I love an array. I love picking and choosing what I love. And I love these products. They make the most delicious protein shakes that I've had called the all-in-one shake. And when I say delicious, I mean like these don't taste like protein shakes. They're just very flavorful and actually taste like the flavor that they say they are. I have the chocolate bliss, the vanilla cream, and the caramel sundae. Um, I like to drink them as is, or I've also like mixed them together. So I've done like half of a chocolate Ooh. bliss plus half of a caramel sundae. And it is so delicious. Tasty. Um, they have a protein blend 
of plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave you feeling full. You can get fiber and superfood blends with more than 25 organic fibers and superfoods blended into one easy, delicious shake. I love their hydrate. It is so good for me. I've talked about this before so many times. Your girl needs electrolytes constantly, every day, at all times. And what I love about theirs is the variety of flavors. So lemon lime, my favorite, strawberry, peach mango, another delicious one, wild berry, watermelon, and cucumber. Hydrate Point supercharges water with all the key vitamins, electrolytes, and minerals. So one stick of hydrate mixed into 16 ounces of water can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with Blame Me and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code Blame me right now for 50% off up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use the code blame me. <gasps> oh, if only they could see the video. Melissa's holding up our next sponsor, who we love. No way. Yes way. And guess who our sponsor is? Way. <laughs> I have loved way products for so long, but I have to say that in the last month or so, whenever we started doing ads with them and I got sent some new things I've never tried before, I have been having the best hair days of my entire life. To, to, be, to be perfectly frank, I've been having gorgeous and easy hair days. Yeah, um, I had to uh, go out of town for a family emergency. I've talked about it on the podcast. And um, I usually do not like to fly with um, a lot of hair things. I'll usually use what's at my parents' house. And um, I was like, nah, I, I like this stuff too much. I packed everything. I packed everything that they sent us. It's just so, so good. I love their detox shampoo. I am someone who like the front part of my scalp or hair or whatever gets really dry. But then the nape of my neck, especially if I sleep with a bonnet on, I'll sweat in the night. And so then the parts of my back, like th that's getting all dingy. But then also sometimes when you wear like your little front pieces, it can get like oily extra quickly. All of this to say, I have never used a clarifying shampoo that gets my hair so clean without being like dry and squeaky and like, oh gosh, I can't keep using this. This is not good. Like it just gets everything out of your hair, totally refreshes. But I cannot say enough good things about the hair gloss. Like, oh, the hydration, the shine, the, the gorgeous body that it gives your hair. It's fantastic. And I'm someone who has, I have lighter hair, so it doesn't get really shiny normally. And it's also bleach damage. So sometimes the ends, especially now I need a haircut, they get really tangled and hard to brush through. When I use the hair gloss and then I give myself a little blowout at home, my hair looks stunning and it feels stunning. And that style lasts for a lot longer than most of my other hair days. Yeah, I'll use the detox shampoo and then also the leave-in conditioner and then let my, I'll twist my hair out and let it dry. And then I'll finish it with the hair gloss. And I love the way that it just like makes my curls pop. And it also smells so, so, so good. good. It smells like a salon. Mm -hmm. I feel like my head's in a basin, but my neck isn't hurting. <laughs> it's like it's the best of both worlds that is a great analogy so we've been talking about Way's new hair gloss it's made with hyaluronic acid and rice water it provides immediate shine helps treat damage what Megan just talked about she has 
some chemically damaged hair and it enhances your color vibrancy. And according to a customer perception study, over 85% of participants agreed that their hair looked shinier, healthier, and smoother. And we were not in that study, but we are telling you that we also agree that our hair was looking shinier, healthier, and smoother. Way has so many bestsellers. They're leaving conditioner, detox shampoo, like we talked about, their fragrances, and their hair oil, which I love, especially when I'm wearing my hair naturally wavy to like break the cast. Doesn't weigh my hair down at all. Super lightweight. And they're just, everything they make is so good. They have not made a product that I haven't, not only like haven't like disliked, like I haven't loved. Like I love everything they do. And we're just such a huge fan. So please keep sponsoring our show (laughs) because... You have a customer in me for life. Me too. So give your hair a glow up with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and use promo code BLAME for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com. Promo code BLAME. Okay, well, next call. So, my girlfriend and me have been together for four years, and I we recently uh, took a break. Uh, this meant that, you know, we would kind of take time from seeing each other or speaking, speaking to each other. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, obviously, like, we would go out and talk to other people, like, it's just supposed to break from each other. Obviously, you know, I want to go into it too much because it'd be a long story, but basically, I like to think that I was the cause of this break. I have a lot of um, unresolved mental trauma and have uh, some anger issues because of it. Nothing violent, nothing like that. It's just more verbal, a lot more kind of just arguments that I start. I mean, obviously, some arguments were were justifiable, I would say, but most of them were, were kind of just things that I uh, would say out of the blue. And there's a lot of anger that I have built up from just mental trauma. And we decided that a break would be good for us. That way I could heal properly and she could heal properly. Uh, I guess my advice is like, do you believe that this is a correct decision that we should be doing? If not, then, you know, what what should we do? Obviously, we both still love each other very much. And I still truly believe that, you know, there is a second chance for us. I still truly believe that she'll be the girl that I'm going to marry. And I know that she believes the same thing with me. And I, I guess what, if I can go a little more in detail with the arguments, it was more about, like, I would basically just argue over anything. And it happened multiple times. And it was times where I would say I would change and, and I wouldn't. But I think after this break, I finally realized it was time for me to actually step up and, and, and instead of just verbally saying I'm going to change, I actually put it to action because I think my actions showed that I, there weren't any consequences until she bombed and break. But anyways, thanks, Megan. I uh, hope to hear from you soon on the podcast and, and keep up good advice. Thank you. Whose boyfriend is this? Whose boyfriend is this? I'm telling you right now that this is some one of our listeners You're on a break with this man. And this is a plea that he is trying to get to get us on his side. And he knows that she's fucking listening. Are you sure? No, but that's what I feel in my soul. The thing is, he said that he just started listening. So that makes me think that he was listening to to old episodes because because he didn't say my name one time during that. Well, that's my other part. So (laughs) if he just started listening and it was like very old episodes, then. 
I mean, the first, if he started with the first season, then. See, my mind is that his girlfriend listens. She's probably been like, oh, listen to how great this podcast is. And she's tried. And he's been like, okay, whatever, whatever. He's listened to like maybe an episode. He went back and like remembered my name or something like that. And then just called in from like the website and figured this out because he didn't. Me- That's what I'm saying. Like you, you're giving him the benefit of the doubt that he just started listening am, to the I'm first one. Give- I'm giving the opposite where I'm like, he hasn't even, he's listened by proxy and that's why he didn't say your name. But if he was listening by proxy, then he would have listened to like maybe newer episodes. Yeah, but then he didn't put the effort in to then See, I want to give, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I think we should give advice from that perspective. I agree. I think we should give advice to him and then I would like to indulge my conspiracy theory and give advice I don't to said girls. I don't think that's fair you're to fine. him. You're, no, that's no, no. I think that's totally fair. But I think, like in the sense, if the girlfriend has called in before and has asked our advice, okay, like we gave advice to her from that perspective of, you know, we don't know the other party, so we shouldn't be giving him advice from that perspective. But I do think it's true that in most calls, we do a lot of the time will enter talk about the other person's perceived point of view. So I guess I don't have to give her advice in in what I'm saying to him. It will also involve a lot of what her thought process and her choices could be. You're right. You're right. So we've got two different experiences with what we think the origin of this call is. Okay. Here's my thing is you said that you're working on yourself, but how are you specifically doing that? Is it that you're just recognizing that you have anger issues in your words or have you you know if you're able to go into therapy or talk to some type of mental health professional have you read a book from someone that's has certifications that not just like a self-help book from some rando that you might feel connected to but like somebody that actually has like a license in therapy or something like that? Have you listened to, you know, other podcasts about mental issues? And my thing is like, how, what specifically are you doing that will be different? Why, like you still love her. You say that this is going to be, you want her to be your future wife, but you didn't mention any specific things that you're doing to change your reactions how you react you also mentioned that like you don't you get angry but um because of trauma that you haven't dealt with have you dealt with that trauma yet you also said that like your anger issues aren't violent but what you mean is physical violence because words can also be violent and i think that that's another thing that you need to recognize and also, does she actually still want to be with you? You want to be with her, but does she still want to be with you? If so, then if you're getting like help with your own issues, are you open to going to couples counseling as well? Because that even if before you revisit getting back together, because that can be that can be very helpful. So again, I want to know what specific things that you're doing to make things better. 
to make yourself better, to make your relationship better. Yeah, I agree with all of that. That's everything I was going to say is that like, you're talking about this, like there were finally consequences, which some of the language you're using is to me very much, I don't mean this in like a belittling sense, but is very much in work in progress language. And so saying things like, you know, there weren't consequences there. It's like, okay, so consequences, that's something a teacher gives you or a parent gives you. Like, that's that's not like a partnership in that the, oh, okay, she finally taught me my lesson. Like, she doesn't have, like, she's not there to teach you lessons. Like, that's, she's your partner. And this is not supposed to be a unpaid position for her to teach you things. So to me, that is like, you're at the first step at, like, you finally realize like, oh, shit, I can't get away with this stuff anymore. But that's not all the work. That is you just discovering that you have to do the work. And you have to do the work before you try to get to do anything, to move on with her, to move on with anybody else, to do whatever. Like the work you have to do is not for her. The work you have to do is for you. And then if you have done all of that work, she's seen that change and she decides that that is something that she would like to try again on. Then you do the work for both of you. And that's couples therapy. The other word to me that was like, okay, there's still a lot to go. And if you are really are committed and you really want this to work out with her, I would tell the same thing to my friend, like, don't do it now because you're gonna ruin it. <laughs> and that's like you said, like some of the, like Melissa said, like violence is not just physical and having that distinction there, you're equating that one's worse than the other in your mind. And you don't know how how that is for her. You don't know if that's her truth. You don't know how that is and how she receives that. And if she would say the same thing, it's downplaying someone else's reactions to your actions, which not okay. And the throwaway line of like, well, you know, some of it was justifiable. It's never justifiable to be screaming at someone to use emotional violence or physical violence that reaction is never going to be okay in these circumstances. So when you're saying things like, well, you know, some of it was justifiable, like that's not to say that like you can't be upset with your partner if they do something that hurts your feelings. You can't then hurt them for hurting your feelings. That's, you mm -hmm. can't think that you were justified in doing that because that's not a healthy relationship that becomes tit for tat and that becomes like keeping track for things and getting even. And that is unresolved trauma. Like that's, that's, you're keeping score and you're keeping record of that. And I'm glad that you acknowledge that you've got those things to work through. But like Melissa said, how are you working through that? Like, and so also when you say, like, when you're talking about, you know, at the end of the day, like, I want to marry her and like, I really love her. I know she really loves me. Love isn't enough. And this, picture that you've painted and both of you have probably indulged in and talking about your future, you need to drop that and you need to let go of that because it's basically feels like a, it's a means to an end. Like, well, we're going to end up here and however we get there is how we get there. And it takes away the daily decision making and agency within that. And so like right now, the goal is not to look at her and just be like, well, we both know we're going to end up together. We both know we love each other, all of that. The goal is to 
be someone who she can trust, be someone who she can trust emotionally, be someone who she can be someone who can be her safe place. And if that follows up with being her safe place the next day, and then the next day after that, and the next day after that, that's great. And if that's then you're her date for a work party, amazing. If you're her date for a wedding, amazing. If you're the person she calls when she gets a promotion, amazing. And the marriage and the life together and all of that, like those are choices that you make far, way farther down the road. Not like this is the person I want to marry. So that's going to happen and we're going to get there how we get there. It's no, be the person that she wants to marry. And you might have been that person at some point. She that doesn't mean that like you she's always going to be that person to you that like in a couple of years that but like so when we have those things and that vision and idea we have tied to it becomes like really hard to know if we're making choices for what we want right now or what we think we want and if we're envisioning who we are in the moment and who the other person is in the moment so like she's not subscribing to potential and you can't be subscribing to potential either so you also wouldn't want that. Like you wouldn't want someone who marries you because that's what they envisioned for their life versus someone who knows you're going to be an amazing partner because you have been, you've shown them and that they really want this in the moment right now and not just, oh, maybe in a couple of years, you'll get your shit together. Like that's not beneficial for either of you. So trying to rush that process or trying to smooth over or sugarcoat this experience and like her experience with you and how you've treated her as like a well I love you I would tell her that you love her and then I would say I love you and I'm really sorry that I've how badly I've treated you to make you think that those feelings came from love because people who love you shouldn't treat you like that I love you and I'm like dealing with my own shit and I need to get my shit together before I subject you to that anymore because I don't want you to feel like what I did was love because it mm-hmm. wasn't love. And if you keep using it as a justification, you're telling her that you're doing those things out of love. And I don't think that you feel, I think you're having shame for how you have treated and like those things. You're recognizing that it's trauma. Now think the more that you pad that with these flowery language and all of this love, you're telling her I did that because I love you. That's not why you did that. So don't let her like, you have to do the harder work and not just try and smooth it over and fast track this to being better because it's just not going to work. Yeah, like I've said before, love isn't just a feeling, it's an action. And so if you're not doing the best that is possible, as Ariana has said, I saw potential without seeing credentials. So, you know, you can't just, it's just not like who you hope to be. It's who you are in this moment. And if who you are in this moment isn't the man that anybody would want to be marrying, then this isn't the time to be reaching out to her. Yeah. I mean, I always hate the whole thing of like, hmm, how can we humanize women to men by telling them to think of women in other circumstances and situations? So I'm not going to tell you like, would you let, would you be okay with your mom or your sister or another woman in your life or your future child having a partner who treats them like this? I would just a friend, like, would you be okay with a friend? Or if you were reading a book and this was like the story, like, would you look at that and be like, I want to be like him? Like, Mm -hmm. and 
the rushing of this hurts everybody. And if there's a part of you that wants to do this as fast as possible, there's a lot of reasons why it can be the shame. It can be that it's very uncomfortable to sit in these feelings of like, wow, I did a lot of things that hurt someone. And, and some of these things I did to hurt someone. I hurt, so I wanted someone else to hurt. Or the fact that you think that if you take too long, she's going to move on. That's something that you need to let happen then. Like if you, if it takes you a long time that she will be, she'll move on. It, it's inevitable what's going to happen. The timeline does not ensure that it will work. If you're relying on speed and quickness and top of mind as the catalyst for salvaging this relationship, it will never work. It will implode. It will end. And it would do you a disservice as well to go through this process of trauma work with her expense there because you're going to feel. Like, you know, if you're taking a therapy appointment at home, you don't want her overhearing. Like, there are things that, like, it's messy, it's uncomfortable, and she's been victim to some of the shrapnel from this. And you need to have time to, like, heal and work on your stuff so then you can be someone who can then heal your relationship with her. But until you heal yourself, you are not going to be able to be a good partner for her or anyone. And you're also then in turn not going to have a good partner because mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to provide that for somebody else. So I'm not against breaks. They're not just like sitting in limbo. Like Melissa said, like there has to be action there and it has to just come from you and not like, oh, should I asking her, should I do this? Should I do this? Like approval? Like No, like do your thing and you recognize that the problem is you and that's the problem that you can work on and the problem that you can fix. Yeah. All right. Last call. Hi, Megan and Melissa. I got a little tripped up on my words the last time I recorded this, so I'm going to try again. I-29, she, her, was recently listening to an archive, but am I wrong, regarding grammar and spelling correction and ableism. Megan said something about a person, her DMs, along the lines of, you don't get to argue when someone who is disabled says something is ableist. As a disabled person, this really resonated with me. Megan articulated herself so well in those messages, but the conversation got me thinking about racism as well. As a person of color who's married to a white man, I have noticed a lot of people feel oddly comfortable with saying racist things to me. Recently at a birthday party for a friend, a Jewish girl, 30 she, her, asked me, so have you always been into white guys? I was a little taken aback. I couldn't help but feel that this was racist. Some other people privately said that it was, but that she didn't mean it. She said she asked because her other friend who is also Indian is also attracted to white men. Others said it was not racist because she's Jewish. I don't mean to ask you to do the labor for me, but I really struggle with gathering the words to explain this to others. At most, I can only manage to articulate that she didn't ask any of the white men in the room, nor did she ask my husband, so have you always been into Indian chicks? How do you go about talking about these things or when you feel something is racist and others tell you it's not? Similarly, I've had my husband's old roommate call every Indian movie they've seen me watch Slumdog Millionaire and felt that that was racist. But others who heard it said they didn't think it was because the person didn't know any better and genuinely assumed every time he walked in and saw me watching a Hindi movie, that it was actually Slumdog Billionaire, which my husband and I think is a bullshit excuse and a microaggression. 
I grew up in a predominantly white community and never really developed the rhetoric for these dialogues. Any help navigating is greatly appreciated. And if this is, in fact, not racist, please let me know, as I really trust your guys' feedback, and I know I can be a little sensitive sometimes. Thank you. Love the podcast. Bye. I think the issue is the friend group. It's racist. It is racist. And it's the friend group. And I will say I grew up in a predominantly white community as well. And when I was younger, I did not know how to express things, these things. And I don't, I don't, I don't even think it might've been in the last 10 years that I like it were, it, it would be a lot of things would be feelings, but I didn't know how to properly express the feelings that I was having. Like, for example, when I was in high school, this guy that just moved to my area asked me if I smoked weed because from where he's from, all black people smoked weed. And I was like, no. And I just didn't know how to properly say that. Oh, and then my friend who thought that she was defending me said, Melissa's not like other black people. But keep in mind, I'm probably like the only black person she knew. I so she was it was a say Melissa stereotype. Has asthma. No, okay. Yeah. No, it was, she was basing it on yeah. stereotypes because there were not any other Black people at our school. And so these are people that are giving, or who are saying racist things, who are using microaggressions, who even if like somebody is Jewish and they're a white Jewish person, they can still be racist. Anyone can be racist. Like it doesn't, stop you just because you are part of a marginalized community that doesn't stop you from being racist so the way that helped me was that I I think by I think what really helped me was finding friends and like specifically like seeking out people that had similar circumstances with me and hearing them express their thoughts and feelings is how I learned to strengthen my own voice. And it helped me a lot because I felt like I couldn't say anything, even though I could. And the point of microaggressions is to make you feel smaller. Even if people aren't actually aware that they're doing it, some people think that they're asking legitimate questions and they're not, or they're saying things that they feel like it's coming from a good place and it's not. And let's say you didn't feel comfortable saying things to them, then, you know, it's not, you don't have to say anything, but you're specifically coming and asking like, how do I find my voice to say, and is this actually racist? If you feel like it's racist towards you, it's racist. racist. And so I would kind of just take, take steps in knowing your comfortability and Honestly, if your husband is white, I feel like he he should be calling it out just as much as or calling it in just as much as you are, because these are people that look like him. So I think this is work that y'all need to do together. It shouldn't just be on your back. And this is these are things that he's allowing. So it could the thing is, like, you have to find where you're comfortable saying things. I was out with a group of people and someone said something that was very ignorant and racially charged. And this other person that I was with, the black woman immediately like said, that's not true. Like she immediately shut 
shut it down. Where for me is that I'm a little bit more careful with the th- about the way that I go about things. And, you know, I had a lot of respect for, for her for doing that, but to me, that's not my specific style. So it's about finding your own comfortability in it and calling it in and letting them know, but in the way that you specifically feel comfortable doing it. So, I mean, I, I can recommend some books by black people, but they may not be the specific. I think that it'll help because it, it, it is, you know, like something that most people of color go through, but they are specifically written for and by black women or for and by black people. But like there, I'm sure there's books by people in yeah. your own community that have this, have similar information, but will be more specific to you. And if anyone has recommendations, like caller, if you're not in our Facebook group, you have been given a golden ticket. Just hit us up, slide into our personal DMs. We'll get you in there and we can have you make a post or we can make a post if you don't feel comfortable making a post immediately mm-hmm. and there. you can also now in... Oh, anonymously Facebook, post. you can do anonymous posts too. So, which is great. So we don't always let people do anonymous posts because we really value um, shared... I don't want to say intimacy, but like making sure that nobody has the upper hand of gaining knowledge or information about other people. We don't let people just like be in the group and lurk, but we give people a grace period of joining in before they start participating. But I'm sure that like crowdsourcing that, that would be, there would be lots of people in the group who would be able to offer some specific suggestions that either are very applicable to your exact situation or like similar to what Melissa is saying that are maybe not the exact same breakdowns, but have similar through lines. The only place I can come from this is as a white woman. So I want to really stress to you that like, unless your husband, unless you have specifically told your husband that you do not want him saying anything and you don't want him like making quote unquote, this causing waves or anything in the moment, he should be saying something immediately. And there's a level of intentional ignorance and like of white privilege of being like, oh, like I didn't pick up on that. I didn't know that at all. But that already not an excuse, already something embarrassing and not okay and has fucking expired for like he's married to you. He knows you. He if he hasn't done the work in understanding like specifically what microaggressions could be done towards you. Like I was mortified when I like had realized so many things were coded as anti-Semitic and I had no idea. And I grew up with like almost all of my friends growing up were Jewish. And the fact that like there were things that I'm like, oh, someone could have said something and I would have had no idea that that meant something or like certain things that are racially charged that are microaggressions or like tropes or specific things that I'm like, I didn't know that that's where that came from. But it's my responsibility to go out of my way to research those, to know what those things are and not wait for the moment where I'm watching them happen in real time with a real person who's on the other end receiving that. That's not the time to learn about it. And he's married to you. So he should be taking that steps and those that, that initiative. And the other part is the friend group. I understand and I'm not here to tell you, like, don't call these people out and like call them in and work on work on this. I would 
also give yourself permission to be done and to quit if this isn't progressing and this isn't serving you. And even if you start trying to call them in and you're realizing that this experience is really not good for you, like you don't owe them that. And I really don't like that in this group of predominantly white people that they're all telling you that this isn't racist. I don't like that group collective. Like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't feel comfortable even if I didn't know the origin of a specific trope or if I didn't know the microaggression, like I wouldn't feel comfortable grouping together with a bunch of other, like our entire white friend group. If someone, a, a person of color in our group was saying that this was offensive to them, I wouldn't feel that way. And I don't think the person in the friend group who's Jewish would feel that would, I think they'd feel the same way about that. Like think if I was, if I was the only woman and it was a group of men, I wouldn't feel okay with them saying to me that that's not sexist. And there's a mob mentality with whiteness and weaponizing that. And I really just don't like that that's happening in this, even if it's unintentional. So I'm not obviously, again, against you calling them in and having these conversations with them. But I would really keep in mind that you don't have to do this because these aren't your only options for friends. Like this isn't like something you're going to have to go through with every friend you make. And calling people, like Melissa said, like I obviously can't relate in a race sense, but when you mentioned like me talking about responding to someone in a DM about like being ableist, that's similar to what Melissa said, like that was a safe place for me. And I knew that that was a safe place for me. And then I knew coming onto the podcast and talking about it. I know Melissa is a safe place for me to talk about this, but that doesn't mean how I interacted with that person. I would have said the exact same thing or done the exact same thing if the circumstance was different. Like if I'm outnumbered, if I'm with people I don't know, if I'm like something as simple as like, if I'm traveling by myself, if I'm at a hotel, like I have to be in a place where I recognize I'm physically and emotionally safe to 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 do something like that. And so knowing that how you react to something in one moment doesn't have to be matched to how you react to something in a in a different one. You don't have to hold the same standards and expectations for yourself for that because you have to protect your well-being and your safety and sometimes it's not that moment. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt you. It doesn't mean that what they did was okay or you're like fine with it or justifying it. You can be just as mad and call it out or respond in two vastly different ways, like minutes between each other. It's just mm-hmm. about the safe place. And I think if you recognize after trying whatever you want, like however long that your friend group is not a safe place, your friends should be the safe. Like if any place is the safe place, it should be with your husband, your partner and your friends. I'm really sorry. This, this really sucks. And I think even if you maintain this friend group, which I'm not saying not to again for the thousandth time, I would additionally seek out some other friends just to, like to have more people in your life where have some friendships that are easy, some friendships that are just, yes. there's not, there's not work being put into it because you're not going to, reap the same benefits of friendship in this moment when this is like a learning and educating process, regardless of how much you're investing into that, you still need friends. And right now they're not the friends you need and they can still be your friends, but you need to find some 
some friends that have that like okay weight off my shoulders releasing like mm-hmm. unmasking like, like have, I'm just okay and you I'm don't just have to here. be you don't have to feel like you have to be like careful around them saying or doing or watching things like you can just be yeah so I'm sorry you're going through this all right so um now we're going to take a break Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. And we are back for Don't Blame Them. This is where one of you, a listener, you call in and you leave your own advice pertaining to a call that we had on a previous episode. So maybe you have personal experience with it. It relates to your profession or you just have some additional insight that maybe we didn't touch on in the original and you would like to share with our audience and the original caller. Hi, Megan and Melissa. I'm a 25-year-old female using she, her pronouns. I'm a little sick, so I apologize about that. I'm a second-year medical student um, calling in for the most recent Don't Blame Them episode with Candace King. I'll be sharing insight regarding the caller not wanting to go to medical school. So first of all, I just want to say I'm really sorry you have to deal with this stressful situation. It's very tough to have that pressure and also regarding medical school. I want to touch on you saying, should I go to go anyway to please my mother? Medical school is the hardest thing mentally that I've experienced so far. On the really hard days, the only thing that gets me through is that I love what I'm learning and I'm excited to care for patients at the end of this. If you don't have that passion, which it sounds like you don't, which is also completely fine, you'll be sacrificing a lot mentally for something you don't even want to do. So I would highly suggest against that. In terms of what Melissa touched on, while in theory taking the MCAT and applying to medical school to satisfy your mom until you're financially independent is, you know, good in theory, that process will be mentally taxing and very expensive. Depending on how involved in your life your mom is, you're going to have to make it seem like you're studying daily, buy the study materials, and at the end of it, take an eight-hour-long exam that is so grueling and is over $300 to even take. Plus, you can't really fail the MCAT. You just receive a score that determines what schools you should apply to based on the metrics of their accepted students. So if you took the MCAT to purposely get a low score, depending on whether or not your mom will know about your score, she may want you to retake it, or if she doesn't know much about the scoring system, she may have you apply to schools anyway. Taking the MCAT and applying to medical school is an incredibly expensive process altogether. I ended up spending thousands of dollars on study materials, the MCAT itself, and applying to different schools. You said you're currently financially dependent on her, so assuming you use your mom's money to do this, 
you'll have to keep her in the loop about what schools you're applying to, what score you got, etc. It just feels like a very tough life to maintain, and it will mentally drain you to fake your way through the process. It's a super tough situation, and I think the best bet for you is to buy time until you're financially independent, like Megan and Melissa said. You could tell her the school you really want to get into values research or clinical experience, so you need a year of that experience in order to apply, or something along those lines. Uh, good luck. The the headaches I've seen from like people who've like a like they've talked about like there's even some that in between you take your MCAT and you do your like residence or whatever that like it's even like frowned upon to take breaks like the whole thing like it's it's a lot and I think that I'm glad that someone who has gone through it could call in and talk about not just like the financial aspect but mm-hmm. like the emotional toll of like you know keeping a charade up and having to still go through an eight-hour test is is a lot but thank you for your insight and good luck in school I know I took the DAT the DAT the dental test but I don't even remember anything about it yeah well also for a lot of those things like you're studying for test not like the anything that's like applicable like knowledge for it it's like you think of that with like the bar people talk about that all the time like you're studying how to understand to take the test and like yeah I mean that's more it's a lot of like chemistry and science stuff on it but still that is it for our episode that came wow. from your throat ah! we hope you all enjoy <laughs> sorry jump scare hope you're not listening in the morning or am I waking you up um, we hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you would like to participate in an upcoming one, give us a call, leave us a voice memo, all of the details that we said at the beginning of the episode. You can also check out the description bar, the, de- the details, the show notes, and it will tell you what to do and how to do it. Again, our Patreon for just a dollar a month, you can get the video version of this podcast. And then, you know, the tiers go up from there. So you can get the video version of this podcast and our other podcast or just our other podcast, or you can have both. Or you can just do our live streams where we do a live stream twice a month. It's very fun. It's literally just like a Zoom hangout with friends that you maybe have never met before. But people like literally have made legitimate friendships. They visit each other. They hang out. They spend time together in person and not in real life. Um, mm-hmm. And they we're there to each other. Yeah, they haven't included us on their group chat. It's like yeah, really rude. rude. Like we've been begging it's to be on so it. mean. Like it's, it's so, so fucking mean. Mean. Like you guys don't. And, even and every know. time I bring it up, they shut me down too. Yeah. So they're like, oh my God, like we don't want them on our group chat. And it's like, wow. Okay. Like, I guess like we're just uncool. Like just trying mm-hmm. to just like cling on. And it's like, oh, okay. So whatever. Whatever. I so. promise they're really nice aside from that. Like it's just mm-hmm. so fucked up. Meanies. The anyway, of DMs are about to be like, you fucking yeah. assholes. You've said a thousand <laughs> times you don't want to be in it. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, it's a fun time. And you can also support the show that way. And you can also support the show if you are a company and you work for said company that does podcast ads. Pitch us, put us on your decks. We have so many cute pictures of us. We look great. Like th- Target ripped off our entire shtick for a fucking greeting card. Like they did. Hallmark. Yeah, your company should be clamoring. Like they should just be like desperately trying to get the Melissa and Megan stamp of approval. So we'll be eagerly waiting your email. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye.
Bye. Don't Blame Me is a production by me, Megan Rinks. And me, Melissa D. Montz, plus Diamond Imprint Productions. Post-production sound and editing by Coco Lorenz. Production assistance by Melanie D. Watson. And music by Giacomo Picasso and Ryan Hunter.